0: This is Voices of Hunger in North Carolina, presented by the North Carolina Alliance for Health and Moms Rising. Hi, Noah. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell me a little bit about you and the work that you do?
1: Yeah, so uh, thanks, Marianne, uh, and happy to be here. So um, uh, just to start at the beginning, um, my job title is Assistant Professor of Library and Information Science at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Um, And since 2016, uh, I have been both researching and trying to support uh, public libraries um, as as essentially engines of public health promotion. Uh, I started with looking at how they promote active living and physical activity uh, through things like music and movement, uh, yoga programming, um, not only for children, but also for all ages. Um, And in the course of doing that, uh, one of the things that I discovered was that lots of libraries um, have gardens um, and and are promoting gardening in various capacities. which then led me to consider some, the, the myriad ways libraries support uh, food access and food uh, food justice. Um, and so um, to make a long story short, um, I uh, administer an initiative called Let's Move in Libraries, um, uh, which now has a focus on how public libraries uh, support healthy eating and active living. Um, and it's definitely grown and expanded um, over the years. Uh, but really, um, I would conceptualize it as, a, as both um, yeah, um, an engine to kind of capture and archive uh, the, the many different uh, innovations that public libraries are doing, everything from hosting farmers markets to distributing seeds, um, having uh, classes on improving your balance for older adults, um, Uh, Just uh, the huge variety of things that are happening and and then kind of um, um, coalescing that knowledge in in a format that's easily understandable, both for public librarians as well as for potential partners.
0: That's wonderful. So can you give us some examples here in North Carolina of how libraries are promoting health?
1: Yeah, definitely. So one uh, one that I so I'm doing um, a project right now that's looking at uh, a few small and rural libraries throughout the state. So I I can start with some small and rural examples um, and then move to some urban. But there's really just uh, I mean almost. uh, So there's 83 public library systems throughout the state um, and pretty much every single one um, is doing something, uh, but they're all doing something different. and I think that's that can be sometimes difficult for people to understand. Public libraries are fundamentally local institutions. Uh, so if you've been to one public library, you have been to one public library. There's no there's no real um yeah, so I mean, just based on the fact that they're a community institutions, it's gonna look completely different from place to place given staffing and community context. Um but but one one example that I, I really like, um is in Farmville North Carolina uh, on the western edge of Pitt County in eastern North Carolina um, and uh, and since uh, since really um, about a decade ago that library has been really getting involved uh, progressively more and more with with regional and local health initiatives um, and it started um, when when the librarian got connected to a faculty member at UNC Chapel Hill University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, who was interested in circulating pedometers uh, back in the era before Fitbits uh, <laughs> and all of that. Um, and so the library started checking out pedometers um, and as well as doing pedometer circulation, they did uh, a community or uh, they did, had people do kind of like um, an online health assessment using a tool that had been put together by the public health department um, at University of North Carolina. Um, and and from there things just snowballed uh, as they often do and and that's 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 what, what's remarkable once you plant the seed things just snowball um and so from there the librarian really got interested in and in how to promote uh, walking in Farmville um he actually convinced the the, the town government um to enact uh, a local ordinance wherein um all town employees would be allowed to take uh, paid walking breaks two paid 20-minute walking breaks uh, every week if they chose to do so as a way to promote their workplace wellness among town staff Um, and and that led to the librarian becoming the wellness coordinator for the entire town Um, uh, they've now worked uh, every year with the parks and recreation department um on on a 5k uh so the library and the parks and recreation do um an annual 5K. Um, the library uh, kind of helps out by having uh, some inspirational reading material available for participants. Um, and library staff also train alongside um, other people. Uh, and then it all culminates in the 5K. Um, so they've been doing a lot for physical activity. They're now, they just I just actually found out uh, the library director emailed me two weeks ago. They just got a grant from the State Library of North Carolina so they're going to start doing more with food. Uh so one of the first things they're doing is they're acquiring a Charlie cart um uh which is basically a pop-up kitchen um and and here's here's just an interesting digression so if you if you, you, the listeners may not have heard of the Charlie cart initiative before but um it was an initiative that was initially designed to promote culinary literacy uh mm-hmm. for middle schoolers um And so it was designed for a K-12 setting um, and no one, none of the design team ever thought of public libraries, but public librarians uh, spontaneously found out about it and, and said, well we could we could just as easily do that um and then they started ordering a bunch of them uh, <laughs> must to the surprise of the actual organizers which really illustrates the fact that i think uh from for those people outside of libraries there's a huge amount of i mean I'll, I'll just call it ignorance i mean it is ignorance um i think people don't realize uh everything that libraries are doing and could do um if if we were just kind of included as, as part of the, the broader public health conversation so anyway, I mean I'm a
0: public health person and guilty as charged.
1: Yeah. Until <laughs> so this year,
0: I really had no idea um all the stuff that libraries were doing and how exciting that
1: is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm yeah. So I'm so I yeah, so they're doing I'm really excited. So they're getting that Charlie cart. They're gonna do a lot of um what they can do with the pandemic. Um and and uh so that 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 definitely puts a wrench in everything. Um but, um, but, yeah, I mean, the other thing that uh, a lot of libraries have already started to think about how they can transition their programming uh, in the context of the pandemic. Um, I, I think another really good example is in Durham County. so the Durham County Library um, has really, really embraced this uh this idea of health promotion at the library for. At least the last twelve years, um, and one of the one of the kind of big champions within the library um, is uh, a librarian called Stephanie Fennell, um, and uh, and I I interviewed her for my research, um, and she told me uh, when she started working at the library back around two thousand five two thousand six, um, uh, she was told that one of her responsibilities would be to develop programs uh, in classes. Um, and she really didn't know what to what to do. Like what? And, and then her her supervisor at the time told her, "Well, a good way to get started with programming is to do something around something that you're passionate about." Um, and she happened to be passionate about health and wellness, uh, so that's that's kind of what she started her programming around. Um, uh, and that really led the feed to a huge profusion of programs uh, throughout the library system. Um, a number of their branches are summer fe- participate in the USDA summer feeding program, um, including one of the branches uh, is is doing it this summer as uh, a grab and go pickup site. Um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but, but uh, they've also just done a huge amount of. Um, um, uh, they're they're now uh, collaborating with the National Institutes of Health uh, through their All in All of Us initiative, um, mm-hmm. which has really put a lot of money into public libraries um, as venues that can promote kind of uh, engagement in healthcare and, and break down uh, boundaries between um, historically marginalized communities uh, in the formal healthcare system. Um, uh, so, with the, the participation in that program, one of the things that they're they're doing is try to reach. Um, Um, yeah, um, um, communities that are kind of falling through the cracks. Um, And so one of the things that Stephanie has worked on in 2019, developing fitness programs for individuals who were missing limbs. Um, So people, uh, many of whom coming back from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, were not feeling like they could work out in traditional fitness venues. Um, And so she worked with... um, this uh, amputee community um, to actually work with them to develop uh, at the library meeting rooms, uh, fitness classes for individuals missing limbs uh, that were appropriate for them. And that also became um, a venue for building and sustaining community. So it kind of had uh, a hybrid fitness last support group component to it. So Durham, I mean, there's just, uh, but they also have a feed library. Like many libraries, Durham has a feed collection. uh, you can check out seeds from the library. Uh, just uh, just a huge array of of different programming. But uh, uh, like in Farmville, it all started with with a single person with an idea, and things snowballed from there.
0: That's awesome. So those are some examples from North Carolina. Can you give me some examples from outside of North Carolina that maybe we haven't seen here yet?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I think one trend uh, that I'm seeing nationally that hasn't quite made it to North Carolina in a big degree um, is collaborations with state park systems. Um, so in a number of states, uh, there there's statewide partnerships between state libraries and state parks uh, that encourage uh, families to get out in the nature um, and to experience the health benefits of being in nature. Um, so for instance, in Virginia, um, uh and as well as in georgia virginia and georgia both have this uh statewide initiative where you can go to any library um throughout the state uh and check out uh essentially uh, a little hiking backpack uh as well as passes to state parks um and the and the, the kind of the impetus for these programs is that uh in these states uh you actually have to pay to enter right. state parks uh, so they were trying to lower barriers to entry by making passes available at libraries um but as that program became so successful, they actually augmented it to also make um, hiking supplies um, and different things you can use to augment your experiences. So, of course, here in North Carolina, state parks are free to a- enter. So there hasn't been there wasn't that initial kind of impetus to develop the collaboration. But um, but I, I kind of hesitated, and because there is an initiative uh, that I've been working with through the North Carolina Arboretum um, uh, in Asheville. Um, Called Eco Explorer. so they they started working with the Buncombe County Library um, to uh, basically promote uh, libraries as uh, as Eco Explorer hotspots. Uh, so working with them to install things like butterfly gardens um, and other things like that uh, on library grounds, um, and uh, and more generally to promote citizen science. Um, uh, and so they they now have a, a grant proposal under review uh, for the Federal Institute of Museum and Library Services that I I helped out a little bit with. Um, and if it's funded, they're going that that initiative is going to become a statewide initiative um, uh, with a particular uh, focus on on embedding it in, in rural libraries um, to again uh, use libraries as catalysts uh, to um, promote engagement in nature. Um, which I I definitely see as related mm-hmm. to health. But again, it was kind of, uh, it started local. It, so it started in, in this particular location, um, and then it spread. And that's really how the diffusion of innovation takes place in librarianship. You have things that st- start in particular locations um, and then kind of spread um, regionally, statewide, and then nationally uh, over time. That's
0: awesome. You've talked about a couple of different innovations. Can you talk to me a little bit more about how specifically um, librarians are interacting with food? We know I heard you say that while I'm one in Durham are serving as summer meal sites, and certainly we've seen that in other parts of the state as well. What else are they doing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're doing a lot of uh, cooking classes, um, uh, both in person and now online, Uh, so a lot of libraries are now doing virtual cooking classes. Um, um, And and one of the nice things about the virtual cooking classes is that you can access them anywhere in the country. You don't necessarily have to just access your local library. So in South Carolina, they have a statewide initiative called Read, Eat, Grow. and because of the pandemic, they've been starting to pump out um, basically, um, uh, yeah, simple cooking demos uh, that you can view at home. Um, and so you can just go to their website uh, and access an array of how-to uh, cooking classes. Um, so lots of cooking classes uh, kind of geared at a general audience. Um, I think there's also just uh, educating people about where food comes from, Um And so, for instance, uh, a number of libraries do things like the incubation of chicken eggs. um, And I'll just say a quick, this is not from North Carolina, but in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, at the Enoch Pratt Public Library, the the Public Library of Baltimore, Maryland, one of their very urban branches in the middle of the city, um, uh, one of the librarians there is really interested in kind of uh, promoting knowledge of of food systems and where food comes from. and so she's worked with a couple of farms um, in the rural areas around Baltimore County um, to bring in some of their knowledge into the library. Um, and so that led uh, to every year they actually incubate uh, some eggs um, at the library. So they initially pitched this as let's let's educate kids about food, um, but libraries are for all ages, and and I think that's a fundamental thing that anyone wanting to work with libraries has to has to recognize and, and build upon. Um, and most of their library surprise, what they actually found out is that as the as the um as the chickens began to hatch um it was not children who were pressing their faces against the glass, waiting for the next um it was it was individuals experiencing homelessness um adults um who had never seen anything like this in their lives and were just transfixed um, and it became one of the most special parts of their days watching these chickens hatch um at a library uh, in the middle of the most urban part of Baltimore. So much uh, here in North Carolina and across the country does. uh, A lot of it is partnership based, especially with the Cooperative Extension. And at at least in my experience, uh, talking with people from the NC State Extension in Raleigh, um, there's there's there, there, there people at the state level don't really understand what's happening. You have to really talk to the county extension agents because there's the ones who are on the ground actually forging and seeing the power of these collaborations um from From my perspective, not having a public health background uh I feel like sometimes I'm hitting my head against the wall, like what do I have to do to kind of um let people know what's happening and and yeah kind of um I don't know. Yeah, sometimes it's some a little frustrating.
0: As municipalities and counties are kind of navigating COVID nineteen, we're seeing some cuts to um library funding. Is mm-hmm. that a mistake, especially now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely say it's a mistake. Um I mean, I, I certainly recognize and, and understand that um with with the uncertainty around property values and other municipal sources, um some very hard decisions are gonna have to be made uh, going forward. Um but I, I do think um uh, it is a mistake to cut library funding because uh the more austerity measures that you impose on libraries um, the less able they are to uh, develop and implement uh the services that we know reach reach people that otherwise fall through the cracks um and I think public libraries are are really uh, a vital component of of the social safety net um Uh, So I mentioned individuals experiencing homelessness. Uh, We know um, that libraries are are, are truly a vital lifeline for those individuals. Um, So much so that in some places, um, libraries have actually um, partially reopened, or at least they've opened their bathroom facilities. So for instance, in Seattle, they just opened the foyer to the library because people just rely on the library to to use the bathroom. uh, we 're now seeing some parts of libraries reopen as cooling centers because people need to get out of the heat um, uh, so i think uh, I think it, I think it is a mistake and I think uh, the the more that we cut funding from libraries, the more inequality will only grow in this country um, because libraries are one of the true um, forces that they, i mean they 're open to everyone uh, it doesn 't matter who you are it doesn 't matter if you have a house it doesn 't matter what age you are. Um, uh, they're they're one of the true uh, few public resources that we have that reach reach everyone in this way and And the more that we cut library funding, the more we contribute to exacerbating inequality.
0: Maybe we don't get as much bang for our public health and health promotion dollars if we don't have. These robust partnerships with libraries.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I definitely. Um, I mean, one, one thing that I, I tell people is that uh, if you don't work with, you, if you're not connected, if you're not working with your local library in some capacity, you're really leaving money on the table because um, you're, you're missing out on, on, on a partner that can take what you're working uh, on and, and bring it to the next level, uh, take it to new audiences. Um, uh, yeah so i i I really agree with that and and that's one of the things so one of the things that I'm seeing that i'm I, makes me hopeful is that I, in the context of the pandemic I'm seeing a lot more robust partnerships um at the municipal level, particularly between libraries and parks and recreation as well as arts organizations um so for instance here in greensboro, North Carolina, as well as across the country we're seeing um if people uh, entities that offer programming and classes um on a regular basis. Um, as all of that has shifted to being online, um, we're seeing municipalities develop uh, essentially one-stop shop for for local programming. So, I mean, I'd like to hope that um, whatever the new normal is uh, out of that, we'll see uh, a more connected, um, and by being more connected a more resilient um, kind of public infrastructure.
0: I, I share that hope. Do you have any final thoughts um, Words. you've been really helpful to me over the last seven, eight months and helping me kind of learn what libraries are doing and how they're promoting health. Um, do you have any final thoughts about that for people who work in public health, for people who work in food security?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think really the final thought that I I'd, I'd want to end with is that um, we might like li- public librarians. We're not uh, public health professionals. Um, most of us have never taken a public health class. Um, um, and so we don't necessarily know the language. We don't know all the all the discussions and debates. Um, but but, most public librarians, uh, if you sit down with them and have a conversation um, you 'll find out that they care deeply about their communities um, and want them to be the best places that they can be um, and if uh, and out of those uh, conversations um, you can typically uh, find a way to leverage uh, each other 's resources to promote uh, the public good um, and so um, I would just uh end by saying um, uh, the best thing that I think anyone wanting to get started, uh, is simply to, uh, I guess, in, in the age of COVID-19, pick up the phone, um, and call your local library. Um, see if you can talk to the adult services librarian or the children's services librarian. Um, one of the public facing librarians, uh, talk to them, um, and, and just see, see what you can do. Um, and, and just expect the unexpected, ex- expect things to snowball. Um, and, uh, just, uh, yeah, take advantage of this this resource. That's ninety six percent of America um, has a public library, uh, so they're they're almost everywhere uh, in the country. Um, yeah, ready to ready to do its part to support public health.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, Noah.
1: Yeah, thanks, Marianne.
0: Megan, thanks for joining us. You were recommended to talk to you because you've done some great programming around food at the library you work at, and we'd love to hear more about that.
2: Okay. Hi, I'm Megan and I work at the Ashboro Public Library for the past six years and have been a librarian for almost 10 years. I play with blades and power tools to enable my quilting and as well as needles with my cross stitch. My father was a nurse, and my mother is a dietitian at a nursing home. So I've had a health and nutrition background, but I'm a weird liberal arts major. Not quite sure how that came about after very science-heavy, you know, parents That happened. I started in Fayetteville in 2010 and got my legs there and then I moved to Randolph County in 2014 and I've been there since. So I got the idea for a cooking class um, back in 2016 when we received a bequest from some patrons who had passed away. I have a very small, limited budget. I can do some extra special things, but not a lot. And most of that budget goes to a Christmas program that I must have, or else there'll be a riot in town. I don't think they'll burn the books, but they'll be unhappy with me if I don't have it. And that most of that money goes there. So I was really, um, really thrilled to have this quest money to um, have somebody else to cook who's more knowledgeable about me, because. When I started cooking, I started cooking in my sophomore year of college. It was very on a very ad hoc basis what I learned and learned what went well and what did not go well. Um, my mother always cooked. So this was a chance to have somebody with a little bit more formal background in cooking to, to explain what's going on. So you reached out to Cooperative Extension. I reached out to Cooperative Extension. I'd worked with with them in Fayetteville with some free programming where my budget was even more limited. Um, So I picked their brains, uh, picked Jenny Leonard's brains in particular. She's a fabulous instructor, very effusive, um, fun, knowledgeable. I absolutely love her. Do you only
0: serve Randolph County or can other counties take advantage Um, of her? She only serves so.
2: Randolph County. I think each county has their own cooperative extension where they can ask their four H agents what they what programs they can do. I asked Ben Grandin our um, gardening expert. I've had them several years in a row, and we only have about 30-35 people for the gardening program oh, wow. every February to May. Of course, it depends where you are in North Carolina, if you want to start that a little bit later or earlier. But he, hes they're a great resource, and I absolutely love them. And There's my some
0: interesting in gardening, too. Home cooking and gardening, yeah. I think, have really yeah. come back in popularity
2: oh yeah and canning here too i had a canning program and i had lots of people here mm-hmm. so it was, it was really great there is a definite entrance because what you learn is passed down from generation to generation even though there's a lot of formal classes i mean they're like semester long hours long but you know the cooperative extension is just you know for an hour what once or twice a month and you get a and what, through the cooking classes, they formed a lot of great friendships. And it's, a lot, it's mostly women, but there are a few men there. Um, I got her to do the cooking classes and I, I, I didn't know what she could do. I was just like, well, throw me some ideas. She's like, well, let's do a slow cooker one. She loves her slow cooker. She has several in different oh, sizes. Comes. So she, she did a slow cooker stir fry up the night, soups on and holiday appetizers because it was going to be twice a month, September, October and once at the beginning of November. They're all easy, they're all cost effective. Um, And that's what the cooperative extension do. They try to find cost effective.
0: Sometimes that $5, $10 is hard to find um, for a family, especially if you're on a fixed income of any variety.
2: It is. It is. So this bequest allowed me to um, buy, Jenny would do the shopping and I would just reimburse her. So that was really great. I could offer it. Part of one of the many, many hats I wear is I'm program coordinator. So that means I think up ideas to do, plan them, um, and then I do the publicity. You know, when I was in Fayetteville, they had a marketing department, they did it. I didn't have any control over it. But this one, I wanted a limited number of people, like 10 or 15. I can't remember what the number ended up at. Registration made them 18 years old because it's like, well, I don't think anybody would get hurt. But, you know, we are using a stovetop, knives, that sort of thing, just in case. And I didn't know what the insurance policy was. and a lot of times our newspaper will pick up my programs and advertise it and the main page, like on page two of what's going on in the community, these community events. But it's usually just a day or two beforehand and I have no control over it. As soon as 9 a.m. struck, the phone started ringing, I'm like, oh, okay, well, somebody needs help with their, you know, their ebook or, or what have you. No it was about the food the programs and i'm like oh okay this is good let me sign you up and then as soon as i turned that phone off it rang again again it was the food program like okay let me sign you up for this here's the deal and the same thing happened again as soon as i would hang up the phone would ring and it was about the food programs and i was just Blown away because I don't get responses like that. I mean, and then I look in the newspaper, and, and there it is. You know, here here's my program listed. I'm like, okay. Now I understand why everybody is wanting to sign up. Hold on one minute. So for at least two hours, we are fielding phone calls.
0: So excuse the pun, but people in your community seem hungry for this kind of information and programming. Yes.
2: I love puns, so don't be <laughs> sorry. They were extraordinary ravenous for it. So you had a lot of people mm-hmm. sign up. How do people sign up? They called us. Mm-hmm. It really what I really wanted to reach was the you know maybe people not look, look less means less less means. Mm-hmm. You know i understand about convenience food and fast food uh-huh. and it's just easier and i'm like i've been there but then i realized and it's just now that i worked two jobs at one point uh-huh. i worked my full-time 40 hours job and then i worked in 10, 10 hours at a fast food restaurant uh-huh. it was only a couple hundred dollars extra but it helped out and then i realized you know there might be working two or three jobs i've had people come to me um I, I haven't had any men tell me that they work a couple of jobs and they just sometimes can't get to the library. They're just so hectic and they have two or three kids. I mean, it's totally really challenging. Stop. We
0: certainly have a lot of North Carolinians that are working two three jobs. Sometimes the schedules are really erratic. Often the, they have to commute between those. It's not like the two jobs are right beside each other and they just oh, yeah. hop on over. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I think is really important about knowing how to cook and learning how to cook and having a free resource like the library that provides that kind of programming is when your mm-hmm. house margins, your financial margins are really tight, making a mistake when you're cooking,
2: is costly. It's
0: costly. That's food that you're planning on feeding mm-hmm. your kid, and maybe that means maybe you can make something else really quick, and the kids can eat. But maybe that means you won't get to eat. Yeah. And those are, you yeah. know, that's really hard. And so, learning how to cook is really, um, it's a cost saver in terms of being able to cook at home and and knowing how to do that. Um, although maybe it's not always a time saver. No, but also to know that when you cook the food is going to be good and edible and nutritious. You um, you said that you um you got mostly older women who signed up for the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had thought about that, you know, maybe you would get a different demographic. What would you do mm-hmm. differently if you do a program like this Instead in the future? Of-
2: Instead of going to the cooperative extension, which, you know, a lot of people don't want to go someplace new, especially if you don't have somebody to come with them, mm-hmm. you know, so they don't feel like a fish out of water. I would want to go to them. Um, I want to go to their churches because, you know, they don't have to change anything. They can just go to their normal routine um, and, and be there. And we, we go to them and then we talk to them about cooking nutritious food um, and then if they want more they could go to the cooperative Mm -hmm. extension one of the reasons why i took these cooking classes is because i tried to align some of our the county's objectives and our library our library programs with the county objectives and one of the top ten deaths Mm -hmm. in Randolph County was it was because of obesity, diabetes. Um, I learned to, to do that in the Cumberland County, North Carolina when I started.
0: I think it's just so smart to look at what the priorities are for the county mm-hmm. and align mm-hmm. with those mm-hmm. those goals. One thing you talked about oh, yes. that um, you all also had gardening classes through cooperative extension that
2: have been yes. really well attended. Tell me a little bit yes. about those. Gardening classes were just so popular. I've always had around. 30, 35, 25 people, somewhere around that range, attending classes year after year, in February and March. Um, at, here in Randolph County, I picked Ben Grandin. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, they, they like it. They enjoy it. Um, I've never had a pro. This, this is the only program I've had several years in a row
0: mm-hmm. running. I think we're seeing a renaissance I, of home food preparation, of home gardening. I think Mm -hmm. people are really um, getting back into that, and it's really exciting. And you said that you've also offered canning classes.
2: I have offered canning classes. Um, Some of it was a little bit more theoretical Mm than hands-on just because of time constraints.
0: Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining with us and telling us about all the ways that y'all are making the library a super relevant resource for families.
2: Thank you for having me, I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to Voices of Hunger in North Carolina, presented by the North Carolina Alliance for Health and Moms Rising.